This is Voices of Lancashire, a podcast about migrants who live in Lancashire and made their home here. I am your host, Lara Mumesso. I live in Lancashire and I am an Italian migrant myself. Voices of Lancashire is born out of my personal experience, which I am sure is shared by many other immigrants. How many times have people asked us the question, where are you from? And how many times have the same people made assumptions about who we are and what we do here, precisely because of our nationality? Assumptions that do not necessarily correspond to our life stories. Out of this experience, I decided to create Voices of Lancashire, a space where migrants who live in Lancashire talk about their life stories, why and how they moved to Lancashire, their impressions of this part of the world, their ambitions and their everyday life experiences in a place that has become their permanent or temporary home. For this first series, Voices of Lancashire will consist of 12 episodes published fortnightly, each with an immigrant living in one of Lancashire County districts. If you are an immigrant interested to know more about the experiences of other fellow immigrants, or a local interested to know more about the life experiences of your new neighbors, this podcast is definitely for you. Follow me. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is with Sojin. Sojin is from South Korea. Thank you very much for being here with us today, Sojin. Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for inviting me here, Alara. Thank you. Thanks, Sojin. So, Sojin arrived in Lancashire's Preston to work at the University of Central Lancashire seven years ago. She's one of my colleagues at UCLan, and professionally, Sojin is well known in her field. She's the director of the Institute of Korean Studies at UCLan, course leader of the MA program in North Korean Study, which is actually the only program in North Korean Studies in the UK and in Europe. She's successful with grant applications. She's popular with her students and also within the academic community. And she has been interviewed by many radio and TV stations in the UK and internationally. So it's a honor to have such a superstar. Today, though, I want to talk with Sojin more about herself than about her work. I actually realized that I know Sojin more from the perspective of her profession than her personal life. So I want to know your experience in Lancashire as a South Korean, your feelings about this place. Also, for me, is a quite a kind of new conversation I have with Sojin. So let's start from where you live. Sojin lives in Lidham, a small town in the File District. I know Lidham because it's a lovely little town near the seaside, full of character, and I've been there for the Lidham Music Festival or over the summer to have a walk, get an ice cream by the beach. So, Jean, why did you decide to live in this place? And can you describe the life you have there from the perspective of an immigrant? First of all, thank you very much, Lara, for uh, your very good opening. At the moment, I'm living in a village very small, smaller than Lidham itself, called uh, Ragurin, which is the outskirts of Lidham. Interestingly, I use the uh, postcode of uh, Preston, but it's under the uh, Filed Council. So that's, I think, why I can put myself under the uh, Filed because I'm paying my tax to the <laughs> Filed Council. About the reason why I decided to move here is, 
Well, actually, as you said, when I arrived here seven years ago, I used to live within the Preston city itself near to the university because that's where I work. But unfortunately, one night between Friday and Saturday, my car was vandalized by drunken students. That's what the police people assumed. So they reported me that it looks like it's very unfortunate occasion or incident that my car was targeted by a drunken students because the bonnet was dented in and I had all footprints around and my one of my side mirror was gone. So that's why I thought mm, maybe I uh, need to be away from the, uh, the city center where I don't have my students around. And I looked around and I wanted to have very quiet place and because of that incident I felt like oh I need some kind of secure place rather than I have to worry about this kind of incidents and I went to see the estate agency and they recommended me what about you look for somewhere in Lidham so I then also visited the agency in the middle of the Lidham center on the high street then they recommended me a place in uh, Lidham St. Anne's at the beginning. So actually, I lived in Lidham St. Anne's for a while. It was really good, very quiet and neighborhood, really, really kind. And, you know, the most part I liked there is that, you know, the way how I came from my work to my house, you know, towards through the, the beach side, which you just mentioned, Lidham. And you can see, you know, the sun goes down there. And that's very, very good. And it was like a healing time for me from all the stress from the work. So I really liked uh, the place. But because I was uh, paying my monthly rent, and I thought uh, maybe it's better for me to buy a house because then um, my mortgage would be less than my uh, monthly rent. So I looked around again within the uh, area to get some new places. Then I had this recommendation with this new developed site in Ragri. And uh, Rare Green itself was also very quiet and it was uh, uh, smaller than the Lidham itself. But I uh, saw this green area in the middle of the village and that looked really nice and the houses looked very good as well. So I decided to move and then I moved. And again, you know, the neighborhood is really, really kind and good. And over the, uh, for example, over the uh, COVID-19 lockdown time, you know, uh, my neighbors, they looked after me and it was really nice. And whenever I work on my garden, they uh, gave me some advices and how how I should dig the land, all these things. And that's what it was. And I'm really happy that I'm in this area. Thank you so much for explaining this process of getting to, to lead them. I see that you kind of absorbed one of those uh, elements of British culture, gardening, <laughs> talking about garden. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's something I started to appreciate since I came to the UK. The smaller the garden, the more time you spend inside it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> So, so Jean, you are from South Korea and actually from Seoul, so it's a huge city. So can you describe a little bit to, to the listeners how was life in Seoul in comparison also to your life in Lidham? What do you miss the most and maybe there's something that you don't miss of Seoul? Seoul is a very, very packed place. Seoul, in terms of the size, is, of course, bigger than Lidham or bigger than Preston. Huge traffic, huge traffic all the time and very high buildings. Because, you know, in Korea, because Seoul, not even Seoul, the Korea itself is quite a small country. 
And we have very high population, especially people tend to be in the cities. And Seoul itself is really busy and very packed with people. And all the time, you know, you have a very busy life. And it's almost like a 24-7 city, which means if you go to pub in uh, Seoul, you can't just stay there overnight. We, we normally stay there and about 3 or 4 a.m. then uh, you have this uh, owner coming to you and, oh, you know what, we, we are closing now. So that kind of thing. But here, like the kitchens are closing at around 9 o'clock in, in the evening and you don't tend to stay uh, that late in the pub. So that is uh, one of the differences. And apart from it, I'm surrounded by the nature. You know, during the summertime when I open my windows, I hear lamb. I hear cows mowing and all these things. But in Seoul, you know, you can't have that. So if you want to build nature, you go to either mountains, because in Seoul, we have mountains and that's the place, or you go outside of Seoul. And that is where you can feel and enjoy nature. But in order to go out of Seoul, it takes around two hours normally. And there's quite lots of traffic jam. But here, you know, I just walk around and, you know, I, I see them sheep and cows and sometimes i also see uh horses as well so it's very green to live in living and also in our green so that is one of the most different views from my point of view and now time to time i also go uh, visit my family in seoul and because of that i really feel like oh it's really really busy in seoul and i feel like oh i want to go and have some tranquil times back in my house in in Lidham or in in Aragon. and on top of that the other thing is that the air here the air is really fresh but in seoul you know not only because of the traffic and you have this polluted air also because it's near to china and time to time we have this yellow dust coming from china so not only because of the covid-19 uh, before even before then, people in Seoul were kind of uh, familiar with wearing masks already because of the air pollution. And right after you landed on the airport, you feel this difference in the air. So that's the other thing I can describe in terms of the difference between Seoul and a place where I live at the moment. Good. Thank you so much. I've, I'm interested to know, because I've known you for seven years, and in my view, as a colleague and a friend as well, you are an established, very dynamic, active academic, successful academic. But I would like to know how did you decide to come to the UK? So not just UCLAN, so the process that brought you to become what you are now. So when I was still in uh, university in Korea, I wanted to, I really wanted to study abroad. But because of various reasons, I couldn't have my education uh, right after uh, for my high school time abroad. So during my university time, after third year, I decided to have short uh, language away time. So I looked around and because normally students in Korea, they tend to go to United States than uh, UK when they have their further education or they have language to learn uh, to expand their English proficiency in the States. But I thought maybe it would be better for me to try uh, UK because for the US, you know, we have more chances and uh, more opportunities to try to visit. And also I have my cousin uh, living in the States. So I thought maybe uh, trying somewhere in UK would be better for me. So I looked around and somebody told me that Bournemouth is the place where I maybe want to try because at the time I was worried about the weather. 
because I heard the weather in the UK was really awful. So I was talking about the weather and then someone told me that Bournemouth is very south of the UK and, you know, it has the uh, longest time of the uh, sunlight, all this kind of thing. So I decided to go to Bournemouth to have the English Academy for like 10 months. Then I came back and then I finished my university in Korea. The university is four years, not three years. Then after that, I had my master's course in Korea. And luckily, I could have my internship at the UN headquarters in New York for one semester. And then I thought, oh, so now I have experience in the States as I wished. So maybe if I want to do PhD, it's better for me to do it in the UK. And on top of that, because my major in the ML during the MA course was development studies. So I thought, because UK and Korea, UK institutions are more well known in terms of the development studies than in the States. So I applied for my PhD courses whilst I was working after graduating from, graduating from the MA course. And I applied for like four places in the UK, I think. And I had offer from the University of Manchester. That was the only offer I received. So the other three universities rejected me. <laughs> and I was happy because the development studies at the University of Manchester was quite well known as well. But then again, you know, my friends in the UK, you know, they told me why you want to go to Manchester. And it's, it's, it's really rainy city. It's more than 200 days out of 365 days a year. It's raining. So they all want me. But I thought, ah, well, this is the only place who offered me a, uh, the PhD program. So uh, I have no option. So I started my PhD in Manchester. And yes, indeed, it was raining a lot. But uh, one good thing there was that I really felt like uh, as a student, this is a place to be because of the rain. Uh, you have nothing, nowhere else to go, but then just stuck in the library and the study and the read books. So that was working well for me. Then after PhD, I went back home in Korea because I had a little uh, fortunate occasion. I had to go through the surgery at the Manchester Infirmary. It was quite at the end stage of my uh, PhD and I had to wait quite a long time. So nowadays, you know, we talk about NHS and the waiting time, but still then, you know, in 2000, between 2010 and 11, still we had to wait for a long time in order to get operation. So I felt really depressed and I thought, I don't think this place is for me. And after PhD, I just uh, left UK. But after five years working in Korea, my memory, I think, in faded uh, away. So I began to feel like, oh, I want to go back to UK. You know, I totally forgot all this you know, miserable, depressed feeling that time. And I applied for the jobs here and there. And I had an interview at the University of Central Lancashire at that time. And the interview panels asked me a question. Oh, so you did your PhD in the University of uh, Manchester and you then know the weather here in an, up north in England. So I said, yes. And then they all left and then they said, oh, yeah, so you, it's OK. Then you know the weather. Then no, we don't worry about you being here feel depressed, all these things. You know, the conversation was really good. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, I know the weather, but that does not mean that I like the weather. But yes, fine, yes, I know the weather. And uh, luckily, I had a job offer here. And because of that, it was not difficult for me to move here uh, quickly because I'm kind of familiarized with the weather, of course, and it's not far from Manchester. So it's not like you know, somewhere I don't know at all. And I knew the system in the UK as well. 
So I didn't have any hesitation to move here. So that's how I ended up here today and working here for now seven years. Yeah, you mentioned a few interesting things. When I told my friends I was living in the south part of England, Portsmouth, and I told my friends I got a job offer in the north in Preston, they were like, okay, you will hate it for the weather, but I already hated enough Portsmouth. They said, but you will love it for the people. And it is true, people are very, very friendly here in the north. And I see this, they have a different, a slightly different culture from the south. And I really feel more at home, actually, here, despite the weather, which is really something unbearable sometimes. Thank you for mentioning about rejection and failure is something, I mean, this podcast is not for students, but if any of my students listen to it, I think it is in any way in life, it is important to think that, yeah, we see success whenever it uh, represents a person, but we often don't know the failures or the rejections that you you get through that process before getting there. And also, I mean, it's part of our, our, our everyday life, the fact that we need to deal with rejection, failure, and so on and so forth, but we need to keep up and keep on going, right? Because eventually you find your own pathway, your, your own opportunities. You mentioned something about illness, being ill when you're far away from your beloved ones, who usually are those who look after you, is something that can be very challenging and can also raise or bring very hard emotion. It's in general hard to be ill. You're vulnerable, but when you are a migrant, you are on your own, a student, and so on and so forth, it is a very challenging condition. I would like to ask you, how is uh, your life? Can you describe to us your life between your, especially your work life, uh, life as an academic to someone who is not in the sector? What do you normally do in your everyday life? My life as an academic here, I would say that you really need to have different hats and you need to know how to be here and there in between different roles. Before I joined at the uni as an academic here, I thought, the academics are those who do their research and study hard. And, you know, in terms of the time management, for me, it looked like, oh, okay, because when I, I used to work in Korea, uh, I, I worked at the public sector and I had to work from in between this nine to five uh, frame. And in Korea, it's very different from uh, the UK. So you have to work over weekend as well. Sometimes if you have calls, you know, come right now, something like that. So you come to your work uh, over weekend if there are any urgent issues. And also having the like annual leave is not something you can manage easily. Well, nowadays, the situation is very different from the time I used to work. But still, in terms of the time management, it was something I felt a really struggling part of my life. And when I looked around uh, what kind of career I could have in terms of the time management for finding out the time for myself, and I thought academics, like you know, working at the uni as an academic, could be one of those industries where I would do that. But as you uh, mentioned, you know, the reason why I'm so busy is because I have different hats. And in between these, because I have more flexibility in my time, I think on um, the other way around, I tend to make myself to push uh, me into different time slots more and more. So it's not like, you know, I work only from nine to five. So because of that, I tend to work 24-7. So if I have these things and with the deadlines, and sometimes I work over weekend and I work late. And because I 
I don't have this specific time frame for myself. So unconsciously, I tend to work more and more and, you know, try to apply for folding up the grants applications. I have very limited uh, physical time, but then I have more grants coming in. That means I need to work more than I am supposed to do. So that's kind of the thing I recently thought about myself because if I worked within this nine to five time frame, then it would have been very different. Oh, so my work starts from nine and five o'clock. Oh, I finish my work. Then, you know, the uh, mentality there would work like then the weekend. I just enjoy uh, my own time, but it's more like, oh, I don't have that kind of uh, time frame and then I'm being flexible. And because of that, I tend to work more and I have too many things, research, teaching, also looking after my students and working on the admin side and having events. And for the events, you know, it's all about the A to Z. And because in this country, we don't have teaching assistant or research assistant or the project assistant, unless you have your own grant money to support those roles. And because of that, I have to do all this work by myself. And luckily, recently, I had a colleague who joined our institute uh, who really works efficiently. So now I feel less burdened. But yeah, that's, that's just, I think, makes me so busy all the time. And yeah, I don't have these like barriers or borderline in between my work, which is not not something I want to recommend others to do. So I really I am having like second thought about my lifestyle at the moment, work style, and I try not to work over weekend now. I try not to work after a certain time of the day, but it's been not easy for me to suddenly change my work style and lifestyle. But yeah, I'm trying to have my own time more and more. Yeah, I remember that especially when uh, you don't have a family around, it's very hard. And I remember also myself deciding to put some boundaries, like, I don't know, I do yoga, I do this, I do that, especially to go outside the house, because when you are at home, I, I, I used to just work. And it's not very much different now. The point is that there are also people asking for the time and so on and so forth. So they become the boundary. I understand completely the kind of picture you're trying to describe. Indeed, once a person told me, yes, I, I, I would like to work as an academic because you have flexible time. As you said, you start to work in the evenings over weekends. It becomes very eclectic. And so in this picture, where does Lidham fit what do you do within those boundaries? Does Lidham help you to set up, not Lidham per se, but your life in Lidham, of course? You know, time to time, I look back during the COVID-19 lockdown time. In hindsight, because of this obsession, like, oh, I should do some exercise, you know, I'm locked down within my house. So I have to go out, you know, all this kind of those. I try to walk around my area uh, when we had this lockdown time. And as I said, because I'm surrounded by this nature, the uh, living in rhythm is very good to have walking path. Around Regreen itself, I could walk around and you have a very good footpath and you see, uh, you say hello to the sheep or cows and they come to you. And, you know, that, that kind of thing is really good. And also because... If you go to the high street, for example, in Lidham, we have local markets and that's really good. That's what I uh, like a lot. Uh, the bakery shop um, is very local. The uh, fish, fishmonger is very local. 
the butchers uh, are very local and we have the farms. So all these like local markets and local fresh products. Uh, I even have the uh, grocery uh, which is run uh, by the local people. I like them uh, really a lot uh, rather than going to the uh, mega markets like uh, Morrison's or the Tesco. So this is what I enjoy and walk around and you know, try to go in. And I have many charity shops at Rhythm High Street as well. And you know, going in there and sometimes, you know, I buy things which I didn't plan to buy. But <laughs> that's that's also another thing uh, I enjoy. And uh, looking at my house and uh, uh, look around, you know, uh, having more and more uh, items, you know, <laughs> here and there from this uh, shopping time. I wonder what it means for you to be a South Korean who lives and works uh, in the UK. Maybe linked to this, what do people know about South Korea here in the UK, in Lancashire? Is there any preconception or prejudice that you like a bit less or that you try to fight or dismantle the, the construct? Hopefully, I don't want that uh, people who listen to this do not get me wrong. But I really wanted to say this to be a Korean in this country or in my town. Sometimes people come to me and ask me something as if like they think that I'm a Chinese and they, they frequently come to me and say, Ni hao, especially the young kids, you know, on the street. And all the time I ask myself, should do I tell them that I'm not Chinese and tell them I'm Korean or not? Should do I correct it or not? And that is one of the uh, dilemma for me. Should I correct them or just, you know, let them be? Because it's not like I can tell everybody in the town that I'm Korean. So that's one of the things that I really feel uncomfortable most of the times. And then, you know, if I say to someone that, oh, are you like bonjour to, for example, to the people here, then it wouldn't be adequate or appropriate to do. So these kind of things happen pretty often times. Also, at the same time, it's understandable because, you know, if you are not familiar with East Asians, like you can't distinguish people in between. I can see the differences between Japanese, Chinese and Korean, but I don't think it would be the case for the most of the people. So it's not like I want to criticize, but it's more like I want to say to people that please do not think that all Asians look the same, you know, <laughs> that's one thing. And the other thing about the things out Korea, you know, time to time, because I also have quite frequent uh, business trips to other countries. And because the place where I live is really not good to have buses or trains to get to the airport. So it's inevitable for me to uh, hire a taxi. And uh, whenever I uh, get on the taxi, interestingly, around this town, they tend to know more about North Korea than South Korea. They know the um, the leader, Kim Jong-un, but they don't know the president's name in South Korea. So that's the one thing I found really interesting. And um, they all the time ask me, oh, where are you from? So I'm from Korea. And then they ask me, north or south? And I say, uh, south and oh, north is the bad country, right? So for people, North Korea is a bad country and South Korea is a good country. That is also very interesting to see how they uh, perceive the in-between dictatorship and uh, democracy. And also for those who know about South Korea, sometimes it's really, really interesting that they tell me about South Korean dramas, the soap operas from the Netflix. 
some of those I haven't even watched yet, but you know, they already watched and then they, they tell, they recommended me、uh, what to watch, you know, the South Korean dramas. And that's really interesting. And I learned from the people here that, oh, that is something I need to、uh, watch. So that is、um, also a good thing. And you know, this K drama is quite a big thing I、uh, realized. Because、uh, most of the times I tend to speak with adults than teenagers here, I can assume that the teenagers they would talk about more about the K-pop. But、uh, because the parents they tell me, oh, my、uh, teenage daughter likes this group, you know, the K-pop group, which I don't know, but they you know they they like that. So I ask them, is it BTS or is it Blackpink or these things, which I don't quite、uh, know a lot either. But they recommend me the K dramas and all these things. It's really、uh, interesting for me to、uh, hear and have a conversation with them. That's very interesting. And I want to ask you the question the other way around. Before coming here, did you have any preconceptions about the UK, that its culture, society, and if you changed them, how did you change it? When I was in the UK as a student, and now in the UK as a taxpayer, it's quite different. Because as a student, my experience was quite limited. I can say by working in the UK and having my own house, and you know, working with the system、uh, in the UK, I see more differences than before. As a South Korean, before I came to UK for the first time, I learned about UK from the textbook. We have more opportunities to learn about the United States. Because many of the states are the dramas, like soap operas, you know, we have chances to watch them, and I also learned English in American system, and I also、uh, developed my English through friends, for example, like、uh, American dramas. But for the UK, from the textbooks, the typical things is that UK in London, especially, it has a smoke, so it's like a smoke and the rainy clouds, and also the gentleman system. So we tend to say the、uh, UK is the gentleman's society, and be like a Burberry kind of this raincoat. And when it's sunny, you know, people come outside and then they are topless and they all lie down on the garden、um, or the、uh, grass to have、uh, some bathing. But when I did my PhD, well, when I did my English course here in two thousand and one in Bournemouth, I was busy do clubbing and having、uh, these friends. When I studied in the UK in Manchester at the beginning, unfortunately, I was a little bit shocked because of so-called racism. I still remember that when I went to the bookshop, the owner told me because still that time I was speaking American accent because I learned my English in Korea in American system. Even though I did my English course in in the UK in Bournemouth, that was for ten months. So when I went back to Korea again, I began to speak in American English with my、uh, foreign friends. So when I started my PhD in Manchester, it was really about American English me speaking. And the bookshop owner told me that, "Oh, I can't sell any books because I don't understand you. Your accent is too strong for me." So I I didn't know that that was the racism at the moment, and I really felt like, why he tells me like that? You know, that was really a moment. And now in hindsight, I know that that was the racism. And also, one of the staff members at the uni, we had to pay for the cleaning fee about our accommodation. And I went there, and then I had a twenty pound、um, note, and the cost was ten pounds. So I、uh, gave him the twenty pound note, and I was expected to give me ten pounds back as a change. But he said, "Oh, I don't have any change. 
So I said, so what should I do? Come back with a 10 pound note. I was like, okay, well, not a problem. And I came out from the place, but then I saw there was another British friend of mine. She had 20 pounds note. And then she had a 10 pounds note back as a change right after me. So it was so obvious that he had 10 pound note as for the change, but then he didn't give it to me. It was really confusing for me that time, uh, but I didn't know what it was really like. But now as a worker here, I know better and I see my uh, colleagues here who support me. Then if I have this kind of occasions and they tell me that, oh, that's, that's obviously a racism, right? So you have your right to tell them not to do that. So luckily, I have colleagues around me, the British colleagues who really support and understand these different cultures. And as an immigrant, you know, they support me. And even in my neighborhood, during the lockdown time, I couldn't go home and I was alone at home over the Christmas. And they left this Sunday meal, you know, um, the Sunday roast outside of my door and then uh, left a text message. Oh, Jean, um, no, um, this is Sunday roast I made. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. They looked after me and they thought you feel really lonely here. You can't go home now because of the lockdown. And, you know, this is what I cooked for my family here. So I thought it would be good for you to have uh, some as well. So don't be lonely, all these kind of things, right? So now I'm kind of blowing that what is my right as an immigrant, what I can say directly. And also I can see how people are being integrated, you know, they now observe it. And also they ask me, oh, would it be okay for you to cook your food, Korean food we want to try? Because we have Chinese restaurants here, but we don't have Korean restaurants around. And uh, we are very interested to try your food. So they are really open-minded, right? So this is something I also experienced uh, in my town. So this really, I uh, feel thankful about my colleagues and about my uh, neighbors. But at the same time, yes, there are certain occasions and like summertime, this time, um, I, uh, my parents visited me and we had a road trips all around the UK. And we went to this place where there was no uh, guest in the restaurant yet. And they told us that, oh, the restaurant is fully booked today. So we don't have any table for you. I was waiting there just in case, you know, someone canceled. It was near, uh, around the national park and we didn't see any other restaurants. And my parents are over 70. They are old. So I couldn't go somewhere else with them and they were really tired. Then I saw people are coming, people were coming, but the restaurant was not fully booked, obviously, because I saw uh, the tables without reservation note. So I went back to uh, ask, oh, I saw that that table, it doesn't have reservation uh, note on the table and it's empty. And I've, I've been here for like 30 minutes and I see that table is empty. Can we use? And the restaurant manager said, no, it's fully booked. But then the other the staff member there uh, came to me and told me, my manager doesn't like to serve Chinese. That's why. So I was really shocked with that. And again, you know, I was thinking, oh, that's really, and she started telling me I'm not Chinese. And because I'm not Chinese, no, he can't serve me. But then I just thought, I don't want to be served by someone who is racist. And that was another experience. And then my, my parents was really shocked. And then from them, they, they were really now being hesitant to go to restaurants because they are scared and worried what if they do something wrong, something bad to them because they see them as a foreigner and they don't serve us like that. And that was a quite nasty uh, experience. Hopefully, if there's people who listen to this and then think again, 
that's okay. Not all the people look like Chinese are not Chinese. And also, even though um, you are the Chinese, you know. That's not right. Yes, that's the thing. And even though we have different nationalities, you know, um, we have something in common. And I have very good Chinese friends, my colleagues, uh, spouses are Chinese and all the things, you know, it does not mean that you can treat people differently. Another thing I wanted to uh, talk about as an immigrant here, you know, I am a taxpayer here and uh, I also had a permanent residency recently and I studied about the history of the UK and whenever I had something was not sure and then I took my book to my neighbors and asked them the questions and if my neighbors told me that, oh, even we don't know about that and now you know more about our country's history, you know, all these things. Sometimes I feel like it's not easy to be the member of the society sometimes, but sometimes, you know, if they understand you, then also you can be one of them. For example, I had my beans outside of my house and my neighbor, neighbor uh, told me that, you know, normally uh, we don't have our beans outside to be shown unless it's the beans collection day. So it's good idea for you to take your beans inside somewhere so that people don't actually see your beans. These kind of things, you know, I didn't know before. But if my neighbors were not open-minded and then told me those things, and then you know, I would have been like, oh, that um, neighbor who who's not British, you know, having these beans outside all the time, you know. Cultural differences, I'm still learning. And also uh, for those who don't have experience with others from other societies, other cultures, now have a better understanding through this Lancashire Voice as I see that uh, Lara, you're doing this work and having different people from different countries and then different culture. And hopefully that could help people to understand each other. That's precisely the aim of this little project. Following up on what you just said, do you feel you belong to this country? Yes, because I live here and my job is permanent position, thankfully. And things can't be done as you planned all the time. So I came here in this country, which I did not think about or expected, but it happened all of a sudden. So in that context, uh, unless uh, I have to move out somewhere, it looks like this is my home, right? My body system itself is very much climatized now. So whenever I go to Korea now, you know, during summertime, oh my God, I can't cope. It's just too hot, too humid. Uh, I And in Korea, I, I feel like, oh, I miss uh, the summer in the UK, you know. And the food, uh, I, well, yes, I uh, miss my food in Korea. But uh, at the same time, sometimes I really feel like, oh, I, I miss a particular food in that restaurant in my neighborhood, all these kind of things, right? As you uh, may uh, notice that some people um, laugh out loud in front of me and tell me, uh, especially if, uh, those from southern area in the UK, that you really uh, sound like someone from up north of England. So, uh, you know, my uh, accent and pronunciation, I don't speak in American English anymore. And uh, <laughs> uh, so these kind of things, you know, I'm more and more becoming like the, one of those in, in British society. That's great. So the last question is uh, whether you think you will return to your hometown in Seoul one day. Yeah, maybe uh, when I retire. When I think about uh, the future, still a bit quite a long way to go. But I was thinking, you know, if I have dementia or I become ill, you know, what would happen here? You know, maybe, maybe I would not be able to speak in English anymore and we'll still 
speaking Korean only, you never know, because I will not know what I am doing that moment. So if I uh, retire and I feel like uh, time is close, then uh, I may go back to Korea and yeah, end my life there. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So I think that with this, uh, we can end today's interview. So Jean, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing with us your life experience here in Lancashire and more generally in the UK. And for our guests, see you at the next episode. Stay tuned. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.